Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. It's that time of the year again, if you can believe it or not. I know some of you may be in town visiting family for Thanksgiving. I want to say hello to those of you streaming along in our McKinney campus and watching online, maybe out of town traveling. Will you join me in greeting them? Good to have you guys with us. Turn with me in your Bibles if you have them to Mark chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have it there for you in the notes, and it's going to be on the screen in a moment as well. It's been a big weekend already here at Milestone. It's been Freedom Weekend, which has been so powerful. We had about 220 people culminate the 10-week Freedom Group with a weekend experience. And, and you might be wondering, well, what is that? It's just an opportunity to go deeper in your faith, to process through the pains of life. And sometimes people say, is that for everybody? Yes, every person, I believe, here at Milestone could benefit going through that process, and so these 220 did, and about 150 more who served and volunteered and led groups and prayed and led worship. Will you join me in celebrating what God did in their lives this weekend? If you'd like to know more, if you'd like to be a part of something like that, it's gonna happen again multiple times in the upcoming year, so be looking out for that. It's a great opportunity to be a part. Okay, well, we're starting a new two-part series this weekend, and I'm going to just start with a question that may seem a little odd, or it may be something that you haven't thought about recently, or maybe it makes you feel like you're back in school, but I think it could be helpful to us. If I were to ask you, what is the most significant invention in the history of mankind, what would you say? Well, you're saying stuff. It's powerful. <laughs> guys are alive. Maybe in your home, they're watching online. Maybe McKinney said stuff. The other services didn't say things. But that's okay. I could work collaboratively. It's all good. Here, here's, maybe if you go far back enough, if you think of the totality of life, maybe the wheel. Some of you were around when the wheel was invented. <laughs> joking, joking, joking. We're friends. M maybe electricity. Electricity is such a big one. Impacted our life. When I was in high school, I was thinking this week, when I was in high school, there was a big storm that hit and 80 mile an hour winds. And I spent, a, my parents happened to be out of town. I was a high schooler who spent a week without electricity and like cooking off a wood stove. You don't realize how much you depend. That really happened. You don't re realize how much you depend on electricity till it's gone. Like you're putting stuff in the microwave. Why isn't it working, right? You flip on a light switch. So electricity is a big part. This week, so many people are traveling. The engine is a big one. The engine allows us to go places quickly and allows for some incredible transportation, whether it's, you know, however you get around, it's a big deal. But, but what about this one? How about the latest iPhone? That's the one in the line people stand in line for. You know, I, I told you when I didn't have electricity, I was like, what am I supposed to do? Which is the same thing my kids say when they lose Wi-Fi for 30 minutes. They're like, Dad, are we stranded on a desert island? We need Wi-Fi. What am I supposed to do with my life? I was like, there was a long time people didn't have Wi-Fi. The truth is, all of those inventions are significant, but they're not the one that I think is the most significant. The most significant invention in the history of mankind existed before all these things, I believe it'll exist after. In spite of all these things, it still dominates our attention and fills our life. I think the most influential invention, significant invention in the history of mankind is the story. You and I are made for stories. We have an insatiable hunger and appetite for stories. 
Stories are incredible. Stories can capture our imagination. They fill us with wonder. If you're going through a difficult time, story can be a wonderful way to escape the pain of the moment that you're in. You know, stories provide the gift of good medicine that comes through laughter. Stories can inspire us to go through hard times, can motivate us to a better day, fill us with hope, teach us how to forgive, teach us how to love. I've never met anyone who said, you know, if I asked them, would you like to hear a good story? They'd say, maybe I don't have time, but I want to. None of them are like, no, I've, I, I've got all the stories I'll, never, I'll ever need. I'm good. In fact, probably coming up this week, we have a new way. We've created a new way to take in stories. It's probably appropriate to talk about it during Thanksgiving. We don't nibble on stories. We binge them, right? Binging is a new thing. You, you, you get a show, you sit down, whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime or On Demand, and you get a story, and maybe you're around with your family this week. You'll go like, we've been waiting for this one. Let's watch this season. Let's watch this show. Now, I have a couple of these. I have a 13-year-old son, and we watch a show together, and he's like two or three ahead. He's like, Dad, when are you going to catch up? I was like, I don't know, son. I'm serving the Lord. I don't have time for your TV. <laughs> he goes, well, then I'm going on without you. You know, now, now you really, this really gets real with husbands and wives. I don't know if spouses, you, you, you may need Freedom Weekend for this. So you start a show with your spouse. You're like, let's try this one. And you find one that you both like, right? And what happens? You start watching the show and one of the two of you fall asleep. And now there's a moral dilemma. There's a quandary. <laughs> do I stop and wait for them or do I continue on? My wife goes, there's no moral dilemma. I'm going on without you. If you fall asleep, that's a you problem. I was like, maybe you need Freedom Weekend. <laughs> I didn't really say that. That part was one of those things preachers say. You, you say, Jed, why, why are you telling us this? Well, here's the thing. We remember stories. We, we make sense of the world through stories. A recent study at Stanford said that if you tell people a statistic, 5% of them will remember if you tell them a story, 63% will remember, which means I should have told you that using a story instead of a statistic. But the great thing is, God knows this about us. He made us this way, and God is a storytelling God. All stories, the idea of the story comes from God. It's part of who he is. I love at the end of the Gospel of John, John says it this way. He said, if we were to take all the stories about Jesus, there's so much that could be said, so many incredible things that he did, so many amazing moments that we shared with him. If we were to take all those stories, John actually says that there wouldn't be enough books and there wouldn't be enough room to contain them all. Have you ever thought about how God chose to set up the word, how he set up the Bible? You've probably never thought of this. People, so many people get confused. They wanna read the Bible, they wanna understand it, but they don't know what it is. If the Bible, if God had intended the Bible to be a rule book, the Bible would start with rule number one. If God intended the Bible to be an encyclopedia that tells us all about life, the beginning of the Bible would start with, here's everything in life that begins with the letter A. You know, I've had people in my life, well-intended, well-meaning people who said, Jed, the Bible's like an instruction manual for life, which I always say, I never read those. You ever been to Ikea, right? Like, you're in Ikea and they give you a, you know, here's the instructions. You get it home and you're like, you know, it's a picture. Here's all the stuff in the box and here's what you do with it. You ever needed help in the aisle? Like I'm looking for help on a flugnar or a sconar. I don't know how to pronounce this thing. It's that chair, right? You, maybe I'm the only one who's ever been to Ikea. One time I was at Ikea, I made my wife a table 
It was called Dave. I was like, I know, I can say that one. That's a Dave. She said, where's your book? I put it on Dave. Dave's got the book. The Bible's not an instruction manual. It doesn't start with, here's all the stuff in the box and here's how you put it. How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why? Because God tells stories. We could say, oh, stories are for kids, or stories are for leisure time, or stories are for when you have a break. The truth is, every one of us, no matter how busy or important we think we are, we make sense of our world every day using stories. Our stories shape our life. Our stories shape us. The stories you end up telling and the stories you end up believing become the life that you end up living. Now there's a Bible word for this and the word is gospel. Maybe you've heard that word before. If you've been to church, maybe, maybe you haven't been to church and you think it's a kind of music. Here's what that word means. It goes back to the Greek word evangelion, which means the good news. Now, you probably don't know this about me, but I have a degree in journalism from a world-class university, from a, from a school that has a renowned, a very highly acclaimed journalism department, and I'll say this, I'm smart enough to know there's never been a time in American history where people have thought less of the news than right now. So if you, if you have trouble with, okay, the good news, what is it? I don't know if I trust news, I guess we need it, but so much of what we call news is not really news, Maybe you've had an experience where somebody called something the gospel and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I can understand why that would be a big deal to God, but I don't have any idea what that has to do with my life. If you've ever felt this way, then hopefully today I can help you. I love the old English definition of the word is Godspell. Here's what it literally means, the good story. There's a good story that God has for you and I. There's a good story that God's telling through his life, throughout all of human history. There's a good story that includes you. There's a good story that God's writing through your life. But in order to live that story, in order to believe that story, you have to know what that story is. Which brings us back to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, starting in verse 14, Jesus begins his ministry. I love the gospel of Mark. If you're not, if you never thought about this, maybe no one ever told you, the Gospel of Mark is very to the point. There's an economy of words. It's this happened and then this happened. It's very much headlines and bullet points. Look how Jesus starts his ministry. Mark chapter one, starting in verse 14. After John, John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. There's that word again, evangelion, the good story. What is that story? Jesus is about to tell us. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, maybe that sounds spiritual to you. Maybe that sounds powerful or impressive. After all, Jesus said it. But, but a lot of us, I think when we hear that, we go, okay, I'm gonna need a little bit more help. I, I'm having a hard time figuring out what's the story. What is Jesus saying to us? Well, his audience, his hearers would have heard it a little differently than you and I. When you and I hear the kingdom of God, maybe you think of a literal kingdom. Maybe you think of a political ruler. Maybe you think of a palace. Maybe you think of heaven. Maybe you think of, here's what happens when you die. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is primarily addressing. What Jesus is talking about is this idea that what's happening right now, the kingdom actually, if you were to go back to the roots of the language, it's more of a verb than it is a noun. It's more of 
the kingdom of God means the rule and reign of God, which means the world the way that God intended it to exist. Now, however much you understand or feel like you don't understand a phrase like the kingdom of God, I think all of us, we don't have to watch the news. We can look at our own life. You can look in your workplace, maybe you can look in your home, maybe you can look in your relationships, maybe you do look on the news, maybe you do see the things happening in the world that are broken, and every one of us knows at, at a surface level and at a deep, profound level, something in our world is off. We've gone off the rails, we've lost the story, we've gone to a place, we're experiencing things that we were not intended or created to experience, and so the question becomes, what do we do about it? How do we resolve it? How do we fix it? And it's in this context that Jesus steps in, and maybe a more helpful way for us to think about what Jesus is saying is this. I believe Jesus is saying the moment you've been waiting for has finally come. Because of me, you and your loved ones and the whole world can finally experience life the way God intended you to live it. If you'll come to me, I'll give you the story you were created to live. That's inspiring, that's powerful. That'll captivate your imagination. That'll fill you with a sense of wonder, which makes sense why Jesus spent the next three years walking around going, guys, telling stories. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, here's the way life is supposed to work. And people say, we want that. How do we experience that? Who will give us that? And Jesus said, that's what I came to bring. So for us to know more of what that looks like, let's go back to see what did God originally intend this world to look like. If you have your Bible, and I put it again in your notes, we'll put it on the screen, turn with me to Genesis chapter one. This would be a good point for me to clarify something. You know, we live in a world that intends to tell everyone, your story is value, your voice is valued, and that's true. That's absolutely true. Your story matters to God. Your life matters to God. That's 100% true, but, but sometimes we make the mistake thinking because every story is valued, every story is equal. And that's not true. And we know this, fundamentally we know not every story is worth telling. Some stories aren't worth telling because they're just boring. If I told you, let me tell you a story. There was a guy, he sat on a couch, then he went to bed, the end. You'd be like, that's a terrible story, and you would be right. You know, sometimes you, 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 get, you get together, you're like, here, oh, this movie's supposed to be good. You and your wife, you get a babysitter, you get everything ready, date night, you go to the movie. 15 minutes in, you're like, we made a terrible mistake. This movie is awful. That's a painful experience. <laughs> Some stories are, 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 are not worth telling because they're bad. Some stories are not worth telling because they may be told well, but the message and the experience is dark. You've ever watched one of these movies? You heard like, oh, this is gonna win Best Picture. Let's check it out. You're like, that was a terrible movie. I'm so depressed. I just wanna sit in my room and wallow in sorrow. That's probably dramatic. Maybe that's just me who does that. I don't know if anyone in McKinney's like, I've been there before, Jed. You know, maybe you have. But here's what I want us to think about. Some stories aren't worth telling because they seem so true and so helpful, but yet they can't deliver on the promise that they imply. Maybe you've been told, if you can just find your perfect soulmate who's out there somewhere, you won't have to change, they won't have to change, you'll live forever in perfect harmony. It sounds so true, 
It's not real. Maybe there's another story. My boss, my job, they don't understand me. I have latent genius on the inside of me. If I could just find the right place, the whole world, I would be a person of history who would influence everything. It fills us with a sense of, we hear this story, you can be whatever you want to be if you just want it bad enough. It seems so beneficial, so hopeful. The truth is it's not real. You can't be whatever you want to be, but you can be everything God created you to be. So the question becomes, what do we do? How do we, how do we figure out when we're being pulled? Because here's the thing, your emotions, my emotions, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in a story that's not true and isn't helpful. This has happened in your life, it's happened in my life. I can think of many times when it's happened to me, I, I can think of one time in particular where I saw it firsthand in a powerful way. A few years back, I have a really good friend, or a good friend who played quarterback in the NFL for a long time. And he had a lot of success. He was uh, uh, all pro and he, he made it to the playoffs many times. And one, one time he said, Jed, you know, I, I got a game coming up this weekend. My family's gonna go and why don't you come into town and you can do some ministry stuff and we'll go to the game together and we'll hang out, it'll be great. I said, let me pray about it, yes, I'm coming. And so <laughs> we went and uh, I'm spending the weekend with him and we get to the game. Now the game's at this giant stadium. And the, the team is like, this fan base is super excited, right? Like, they've got a band, and they tailgate, and they're an NFL team, and it's a big deal. And, and it's his first year with this new team. And the team's getting to know him, and he's getting to know them, and so they're excited, and it's all new, and so they're giving to him, and so the game starts going, and, and he's still finding his way. He makes a couple completions. They pick up some first downs. Then a receiver drops a ball, and then somebody runs the wrong route, and they, he throws an interception. So now the, the fans are starting to get restless. And you start to hear some murmuring. And, and then they had another bad series and the murmuring shifts to some booing. And now I can hear, I've been to enough sporting events, now I can hear what sounds like them making out a word. And I begin to listen to what they're actually starting to chant and the crowd starts to chant a name and that name is Ramsey. I'm like, why are they saying Ramsey? And then I realize that's the backup quarterback. See, when you're the quarterback, when everything goes great, you get all the credit. When everything goes bad, you're the first one they're mad at. So this whole group, 90,000 people in unison, are deciding that they're forming a mutiny to get rid of the quarterback, my friend. And I happened to be sitting right where God wanted me in the luxury suite. <laughs> and let me just tell you, once you sit in the luxury seat, you don't go back with the common folk. <laughs> Pray for me, I need help. But I'm in the luxury suite with this family. And so I'm starting to think, pastorally, I have responsibility here. Now his wife, they've been together a long time since college, and she knows the ups and downs of being married to a quarterback, so she's strong. He, he's got a teenage, teenage daughter, and, and, and as the fans start, Ramsey, Ramsey, I look over at her, and she's hanging in there, she's doing okay, but then I, I started to get concerned. Because I remember, he has a young son, maybe seven or eight, young son's at the game. I'm like, this is not gonna be good. He's gonna need Freedom Weekend, man. He's gonna need counseling. 90,000 people are chanting for the guy who's not his dad, and they want his dad to, to be put on the bench. This is gonna be painful. So I, I was like, man, God, give me wisdom. Help me to be pastorally strong in this moment. Help me to counsel him so he doesn't have bitterness in his heart. I started to get my faith up. I was like, I'm gonna help this young man. We're gonna walk through this together. So I got my courage up, and I looked down at the end of the box, and he's standing on his feet, and his face is bright red, and his hands in the air, and he's chanting, Ramsey, Ramsey. 
after the game, I told his dad, I was like, did you know what your son did? He goes, that's my boy, you know. <laughs> now, here at Keller at McKinney watching online, you're not an NFL quarterback. Chances are good you're not an NFL quarterback. But imagine how that must have felt. Imagine in your workplace. Imagine, I'm imagining here, my family's over here. What, what if you guys decided as a group, and this is not a suggestion, if you guys decided as a group, Pastor Jeff, run the tape, get Jed off. It would be painful for me. Imagine if you were at your workplace and someone came in and started chanting the name of one of the people who directly reports to you in front of your family, that would be painful. You're like, Jed, why are you belaboring the point? Here's what I want you to hear. Many of us, we don't intend to, our emotions, the circumstances, the pain of life, we don't even realize what's happening. We get caught up in the story that's not the story God has for you and I. That's not the story we were created to live. It's a lower story, it's a lesser story, it's a story that'll fill us with pain and hurt us. It can't deliver on what it promises. And just like that little boy, we start saying, Ramsey, we want the story we weren't created to live and we shout that to a God who's waiting to live the life he created us to live. So how do we get back to it? To get back to it, you've gotta know what the story is. Sometimes people say, Jed, the gospel, that's basics, that's fundamental. Let's move past that to the deep things. I would, I would suggest to you, be careful if you've ever thought that way. I believe there's nothing deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look here, Go Genesis chapter one. You're like, Jed, you're really going to Genesis? I am going to Genesis. Look at this with me. This is coming to the end of Genesis one. Genesis one is, a poem, it builds in this crescendo moment. This happened and this happened and then God said it was good. This happened, this happened, God said it was good. It's all leading to this moment. In fact, if you've ever watched a nature documentary, if you've ever looked on Google Earth, if you've ever watched uh, uh, the Nature Channel and seen an incredible place and think, man, that's beautiful, that's spectacular, that's incredible, do you realize, as amazing as that is, God looks at that and then he looks at you and he says, you're way more impressive than the creation that I made. Look at what the Bible says, Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. You know, the only thing that God ever said that about is people. People are the only thing that bear the image of God. Nothing in the created universe, as beautiful as it is, has that stature and has that significance. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You're like, Jed, why are you talking about Adam and Eve? I mean, you seem like a smart guy. Isn't it a little naive? I mean, you're really telling us that the, that's the way life's supposed to be? I, I, and if you've thought that, I, I don't blame you for thinking that. I've thought that myself. Like, I struggle to relate to God. Is that how all of us were supposed to live? Is that where we're trying to go? And if we got there, what would it look like? You know, I'm not, I try my best. I like, you know, at some level being outside. I'm not the most outdoorsy person. Maybe you've thought, like, naked in a garden with a bunch of animals doesn't sound like paradise or heaven. It sounds like the other place. But, but don't get distracted from some of the details. Let's think about what this passage is really trying to say is all of life was created so that you would look like God and that you would care about what God cares about and that together you would do what God does. What did God do? He cares over his creation. He creates a culture where everyone benefits, where there's love and, and there's growth and, and everyone experiences the goodness of life the way he intended to create it. Now the truth is, 
Every one of us wants that. I can't tell you how many times people have been, Jed, I don't wanna hear about that Adam and Eve thing. I don't even wanna hear about the Bible. It has nothing to do with my daily life. You know what I care about? I care about taking my family on a vacation to a beautiful place so that we can be together with the, things we, with the people we care about the most and talk about the things that matter deepest to us in life. I was like, it sounds like you just described the Garden of Eden. People are like, ah, oh, man, the Bible has no relevance to life. Check out my Instagram account about my dog. I said that in the last service and somebody met me at the door and said, I have an Instagram account about my dog. Here's why, of course you do, here's why. Why do people care about animals? Why do people drive around? My grand dog is a Labradoodle. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's part of the story. God made you and I to care about his creation to create healthy, loving environments, whether it's for people or for animals, whether it's your workplace, why? Because that's the story you and I were created to live. If you wanna think about it in a way that's summarized, think about this. You were created for a loving relationship with God and people in a home you love, doing work that is significant and fulfilling. I think every one of us can relate to that and go, yeah, I, I want that. I was created for a loving relationship with God and people, in a home I love, doing work that's significant and fulfilling. That's the message of the gospel. That's a picture of the way it was always supposed to be. Here's the challenge. You wonder, I wonder, the same thing that Adam and Eve wondered, and here's what we wonder. Can God deliver that? Can God be trusted? Can he provide that in my life, or do I have to do it for myself? Adam and Eve in chapter three, there's another player that enters the scene, an enemy, an accuser. He said, God can't give you that, you gotta get it for yourself. So they left the perfect story God created them to live to pursue a story, and man's been pursuing a story, chasing false stories ever since. How do we get out of that situation? How do we get back to the story we created to live? Well, we got off course in a garden, Jesus comes back, to a garden, in the first garden they chose, God, we don't want what you have, we're taking what we want. Jesus comes back to a garden and says, I could have whatever I want, I set it aside to have what you want for me, Father, and so because of that, all of us now can re-enter the story we were created to live. Not on the basis of our strength, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for you and I. Here's the question, what's the story of your life? What's the story of your life? You're like, Jed, that's a lot of pressure. You gotta give us a little advance warning. You should have tweeted something or give us some time to think about it. I know it's a lot of pressure. I don't think, I don't know if I could just tell you right off the top of my head the story of my life. But here's what I want you to see. Whether you can say it with clarity or not, make no mistake, every day you're telling yourself stories. Every day you're taking in stories, repeating stories, and believing stories to help you make sense of the world. This helped me this week, because I've always struggled to understand one group of people. Maybe you know this group. Anybody have a friend who's into conspiracy theories, right? They're all out there, they're all over the world. I remember in California one time, there was these guys, they're like, Jed, seriously, the lunar landing never happened. They're like, it was, a, it was a television studio in Studio City. I was like, you guys need to say no to drugs. Like, my brother-in-law, this is a true story. My brother-in-law, when he was growing up as a kid, had people come stay at his house who were Bigfoot hunters. That's weird. There's a group here in 2018, maybe you've heard of this group. They call themselves flat earthers. They believe the world is flat. All around the world, 
There are people who believe the world is flat. Think about that, it's ironic. You caught that online, I know you got. Why? Why do we do this? Because the brain despises randomness. The brain tries to make co connections where there are no connections. The clinical term is, it's a narrative fallacy. And you think, well, I'm not a conspiracy person. I don't do this, I bet you do. I do it, you do it, we all do it. Maybe you're looking on your social media feed. Maybe you found out a bunch of your friends got together for dinner. They didn't invite you. Now you have to tell yourself a story. Why didn't they invite you? Maybe they're jealous of you. Maybe they didn't like you. Maybe that one thing you said that they said didn't hurt them really did hurt them. Maybe they just forgot whatever it was. You have to make up a story in your mind. Maybe you have a child. And that child's gifted and talented. They get chosen for the lead in a play. They make the all-star team. They get chosen for a gifted program at school. Your brain starts racing, making up a story. My kid is a genius. They're a savant. We're gonna be famous. I'm gonna tour the country writing a parenting seminar. You start to go places in your mind that aren't true or aren't real. As a pastor, maybe the saddest and one of the most common stories I see men tell themselves they struggle at home, they feel disrespected, they feel like their wife is nagging them, but they feel strong at work. So the story they begin to tell themselves is, I have no chemistry at home, that was good for a season, I've drifted away, we've fallen out of love. This person at work who happens to be a female thinks I'm amazing, thinks I'm strong, I have no chemistry there, this is the real person I'm supposed to be with, and they end up making a choice they never thought they were capable of making because they told themselves a story that was not true. The question becomes not whether or not we tell ourselves stories. The question is, are we going to tell ourselves the story that God is writing through our lives? Before I pray for you, I want you to think about these two things. I think it'll help you remember. How do we remember the good story God's telling? Number one, we have to remember this. You were made in God's image. Maybe you're here and you say, Jed, I, I don't struggle to feel like I'm the most important person I know, I have all this influence, I'm a leader. Maybe you feel that way, maybe you don't. Maybe you feel like no one sees me, no one knows, no one cares. This is not the life I signed up for, this is not the life I thought it would be, this is not, my family didn't turn out the way I wanted, my career didn't turn out the way I wanted. If that's the story you're wrestling with, let me remind you of the good story of God. You were created in his image. He knows your name. And when he looks at you, he doesn't come up with a list of all the things you've done wrong. He looks at you and he thinks, that's my son, that's my daughter. I have a great plan for their life. You are created in his image. When you feel insecure, when you feel passed over, when you feel like no one sees, no one cares, I have no future, the story you need to tell yourself is, I'm made in the image of God. He's not forgotten about me. He loves me and he will not give up on my life. When you believe that story, your life will change, whether or not your circumstances or your emotions do. Here's what you have to remember though. That's the encouraging part. The sobering part is equally true. You were made in the image of God. God was not made in the image of you. God does not do what you want. He doesn't go where you want. In fact, and this may be hard, you're not the main character in your own story. God is writing a story, and you have to do, just like every human being, can God deliver on the good story he's promised for my life? 
When we choose to say no and do our own thing, we're walking down a road of sin. But as we trust him and lean into him, he doesn't expect us to be perfect, he just expects us to keep taking steps. I want you to think about this. Maybe you've never thought about it. One of the greatest challenges with the stories we tell ourselves is we're so selfish, we don't even have to try. We're selfish all by ourselves. I'm really good at being selfish and I've never practiced once. If you wanna know how selfish you are, think about the next time you wait in line. You ever done this? Ever waited in line and you're watching what the people in front of you are doing? They're on their phones, they're paying attention to other things. I'm always looking at the checker if I'm at the grocery store. I'm like, this brother has a gift on his life. He's gonna be powerful and fruitful and effective. I got places to go and things to do. We're getting through this line fast. I was at Costco the other day thinking about this. This helps me feel strong. And my man was powerful. He was flying through the checkout line. Then it happened. It happens to you, it happens to me. Can I get a price check? No, you can't. <laughs> Keep it moving. Why? We're selfish. We're myopic. We want the whole world to revolve around us. Here's the thing. The more you make your life about you, you end up worshiping your own story. People think, well, spiritual people worship. Let me make it clear. Every human being worships. It's impossible for a human being not to worship. You're gonna worship something. You're gonna worship your career, your kids, your spouse, your retirement, your lake house. You're gonna worship something because you were created to worship. The problem is, the more you make it about you, the more you're trying to receive worship. And no human being was ever created to receive worship. I don't care how many likes you get on social media, your soul was not meant to receive worship, your soul was meant to give it. The more you try and receive worship, the more something on the inside of you begins to die. The more you give worship to the God who made you, the more you become alive, the more you enjoy the story you were created to live. More things can't satisfy you, more acclaim can't satisfy you the way being connected to the God who made you in his image can satisfy you. Here's the second thing. You are created to be with him. I love this about the story of Adam and Eve. For the sake of time, we didn't jump there and look at it, but if you go to chapter three, once they make the wrong choice, the Bible says that God comes looking for them he comes to walk with them in the cool of the day. I love that about God. What a great picture. You know, science tells us that you need 10,000 steps a day. It keeps you healthy. That taking a walk, especially a walk in nature, makes your brain come alive, makes you more creative, makes you more healthy. There's a reason why. That's how we were created to live. But I love this picture of God. Think about the incredible responsibility God gave Adam and Eve. Here's the whole world. Take care of it. No pressure. That's a big deal. But I love that God wasn't up there with a the clipboard going, here's all the times they blew it. He would show up every day, walk with them going, how's this going? How are my animals over here doing? How's this place going? How's your family doing? How's your marriage doing? What a beautiful picture of a loving God who wants to come and walk with us through the daily routines of our lives. Well, one of the things we know about God is he never changes. If he did it for them, he can do it for you. So many of us think daily devotions is sitting in a room by ourselves studying for a test that God's gonna give us at some point. That can be helpful at some level. That's not what daily devotions are supposed to be. Devotions are walking with God as he comes into your life. He'll walk wherever you invite him. He'll walk into your marriage. He'll walk into your home. He'll walk into your neighborhood. He'll walk into your workplace. How's it going? Would you like to know what I think about this relationship? I can help if only you'd ask me. 
You and I were not, we were created to be with God, to create cultures and environments. Your home is supposed to look like the kingdom of God. Your workplace is supposed to look like the kingdom of God. Everywhere you go, it's supposed to look like the story God's writing in you. Why? Because that's who you are, and you're made in his image. There's no such thing as a boring Christian life. You're made to extend and live life the way that it was created to be. I was fascinated this week, saw some research. This researcher said they were working in, in uh, hospice care, and he was talking to these hospice nurses, and he was asking them, what's the most challenging part of your job? I thought it would be the suffering, the difficulty, the pain. Here's what the hospice worker said. The most challenging part of our job is when people come to the end of their lives, we were overwhelmed by how many of them have unmailed letters, they have a list of names to talk to, they have people that they left things unresolved with that they could never find the courage to connect to. When the Bible says it's not good for men and women to be alone, he's not just talking about marriage. We live in a world of crowded loneliness. When we're with God, we understand that God's desire for you and I is not just to be right with him, but to be right with each other. And the only way that we do that is if we remember not the story we make up for ourselves, but the story he's writing through us. This week as you gather with friends and families, you're gonna be tempted to remember stories, to tell stories. They did this, she said that, he did this, they always do that, they always think that. How would your week go differ if you think through the lens of I'm made in the image of God, they're made in the image of God, he's asked me to walk with him through these relationships. I put there in your seat, little red card. That card is just a simple reminder. It says here's a gift, here's what I found. People say, Jed, how do I start in the story that God created me to live? I found one of the, what we do as human beings typically is we obsess and we worry and we get anxious about our story and getting everything in our lives right. God's really smart. I found the more that we think about helping someone else make sense of their story, we begin to experience more of God in our story. You know, as we move towards Christmas, there's so many events coming up in your life. There's people in your life that you're gonna see this week, you think they'd never come to church. They'd never find out the story God's writing through their life. They won't if you never ask them. But what if through your story, you start to help them make sense of their story? You'd be amazed at how much your story begins to make sense when you see it through someone else. Take that little card, buy someone a cup of coffee, bring it to Thanksgiving dinner, bring it to your workplace, bring it to your play date, bring it to a place where there's someone you know who needs to know what God says about them and how he feels about them. You'd be amazed what God would do through your life if you just invited him to walk with you. I wanna pray for you. Let's pray together. There in McKinney, or maybe you're watching online, maybe you're thinking, Jed, if you knew my life, if you knew my family, if you knew where I came from, if you've known the ways that I've blown it, there's no way I'm made in the image of God. There's no way he wants to be with me. The great news of Jesus is not in our strength, not in our ability, not clean yourself up and get more spiritual. Right where you are, every story, every great story is filled with conflict and challenges, and moments where it feels like all hope is lost. If you're in that moment, God's saying to you, it's not the end of your story. Right where you're at. All you have to do is say, Jesus, 
I want the life you have for me. This life I've been leading, this life I've been controlling, I set it aside for the life you created me to live. Right there in your own words, just receive him. Just say, God, I want you. He'll meet you in that place. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. Maybe that's the story that you have signed up for, but somewhere along the way you lost it. You didn't mean to, it wasn't your goal, but you, you got caught up through your emotions and your circumstances in a story you never wanted to live. Right there in that place. The amazing thing about the gospel, it doesn't just save us, the gospel sustains us. You and I, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, to remind ourselves of the good story God's writing through your life. Right there in that place. Jesus, I receive it. I receive that story. I receive that life you created us to live. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, we thank you for all the stories that are glorifying you, helping people understand the life they were created to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 